Well, today I want to talk to you about the amazing story of Easter. The amazing story of Easter. I think it would be safe to say that we are all familiar with some of the traditions of Easter, right? Such as decorating Easter eggs. How many of you decorated Easter eggs? A few, a few, okay. There's nothing wrong with decorating Easter eggs. That's fun. That's fun. Or, Or participating in an Easter egg hunt, okay? Yes, one, Danny. Danny participated in an Easter egg hunt. Good for you, Danny. Good for you. By the way, according to one source, the largest Easter egg hunt on record was in Florida. It had over 9,000 children and a half a million eggs. Can you imagine? No, the chaos. I mean, just the absolute chaos that that put down. I mean, I'm sure it was wonderful and beautiful to see the little children running around collecting all those eggs. We do an Easter egg hunt at our, my mother-in-law's house. She puts money in the eggs for the, the kids, and then we have to hide the eggs, and we hide, I think, approximately 30, but we make a count because we forget where we hid them, and then we have to go back because there's money sitting around the yard. A half a million eggs. I can't even imagine. But in addition to those traditions, there's, of course, traditional Easter candy, right? Easter candy. In fact, did you know that in 2012, Americans spent just over $2 billion, yeah, $2 billion on Easter candy, which included um, those marshmallow chicks. Yes, otherwise, yes, immediate peep, peep, peep. We have some peep fans in the, uh, the audience. Are you a peep fan? I don't understand it. I don't. I, supposedly they're only 27 calories a piece. My wife knows that. Uh, but some quick fun facts about those. In 1953, it took 27 hours to create one peep. But, yeah. But today it only takes six minutes, which is a necessary improvement because every Easter, Americans buy 700 million of them. Beloved, that's, two per per, that's more than two per person in the United States of America. Do you understand? You're like, two? I eat 20, so that's nothing. <laughs> that's you, huh? Do you like the... Oh, you, you're the Peep fan. Oh, okay, all right, no problem. I'm not calling you out. And we know, we also know that uh, Easter includes chocolate bunnies, right? The famous chocolate bunny. By the way, 76% of people who eat chocolate bunnies eat the ears first. Why? I have no idea, but they say that if you eat another part of the bunny first, then there's something wrong with you. (laughs) That's what they say. And of course, there are, uh, who could forget jelly beans, right? Jelly beans. I read somewhere that Americans purchase 16 billion jelly beans for Easter, which if you place them end to end, would be enough to go around our earth over three times. That's every Easter, beloved. (laughs) Wow. But listen, that's all fun. It is fun, the traditions that we have at Easter. But there's something much more significant, right, than Easter eggs and Easter candy that I want to talk to you about on this Easter Sunday, and that is the amazing, the amazing story of Easter. That's what I'm calling it, which according to Christian tradition and practice would be the true and historical story concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
which is exactly what we have gathered here this morning to celebrate, right? He is risen. Yeah, some of you know it. Some of you know that tradition, but some of you don't. So when the pastor on Sunday morning says, or anybody, when they say, he is risen, you're supposed to respond, he is risen indeed, yes. He is risen. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to consider three important elements. I want to keep it simple this morning. I want to consider three important elements of the story of Easter that we might that we might better understand what makes Easter a supreme holiday worthy of celebration. It's not the peeps. It's, they're good, I get it. I don't think so, but for some of you, you do. And that, it's not the bunnies, it's not the Easter eggs, those are all wonderful things, but those are not the things that make Easter a day to celebrate, Okay? So those three important elements of the story we're going to look at are love, sacrifice, and hope. Love, sacrifice, and hope. And these things are in your bulletin if you want to follow along in an outline form. We're going to begin with love. We're going to begin with love. So what in the world does love have to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with the amazing story of Easter? What does love have to do with it, Jeremy? Well, it has everything to do with it, beloved, absolutely everything. Maybe you've heard it said that every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? Well, the beginning, you could say the beginning of the Easter story is love. It's a story that begins with love. In fact, beloved, it is the greatest love story that the world has ever known and will ever know, the story of Easter. Listen to this verse in the Bible, and I know... I know that most of you already, you've heard it, you've heard it multiple times, you're familiar with it, but don't let the familiarity of it weaken the impact that it should have on your hearts and your minds. Don't let it do that. If it possible, if it be possible, try to think that you're hearing this for the very first time. Hear it afresh. Hear it with new ears. This is what the Gospel of John tells us. This is what the Word of God says in, first, or in John 3.16 in 17. It says this, for God, for God so loved the world. Don't miss that. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him, why did you do that, God? So that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What does it mean that he gave his son? Well, it means he sent him into the world. And then it says in verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What's he talking about the world? He's talking about the earth? No. He's talking about the world of humanity. Sinners. For God so loved sinners that he, he sent his son. Here's a similar statement in another book of the Bible, in 1 John 4, 9. How did God show his love for us? How do we know? How do we really know that God loves us? Well, he didn't leave us guessing. We don't have to wonder, beloved. He sent his one and only son into the world. That's how we know the love of God. That's how it has been manifested among us. He sent him so we could receive life through him. 
Listen, the word of God is, is very clear. It is because of God's incomprehensible love for sinful, rebellious people, and by that I mean humanity. This is not like a special class of people. This, that is a description of people, sinful and rebellious in, in the eyes of God. And that's why I say this love's incomprehensible. Who loves like that? Who makes sacrifices for someone like that? God. The Son of God was sent to us, beloved. He was supernaturally conceived and born into this world through the Virgin Mary. And he became a man, that very man that we now identify as the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me just draw your attention to something that, I, that may already be very apparent to you. If the Son of God had never come into the world, then obviously he neither would have died on the cross or resurrected from the dead. Right? So if it were not for God's love, beloved, if it were not for this incomprehensible love of God, there would be no resurrection of Jesus to celebrate this morning. And we must not forget that. We must not. Therefore, as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we, as we think about the amazing story of Easter, we should also acknowledge and rejoice in God's great love for us, demonstrated to us by sending his beloved Son into this world. We talk about the power of the resurrection, the glory of the resurrection. Those things are all true. Those things are all worth getting excited about. But don't ever forget how this story began. It began in love. God's love for us. See, beloved, what the Bible teaches us is that God had a loving and perfect plan to save sinners, to save fallen humanity, to save them from his wrath that they deserve for rebelling against him. He had a plan to, to rescue them from his condemnation, a plan that would make the ruined sinner right with God once and for all. A plan that would guarantee the sinner eternal life. A life with God forever. A plan that would rescue the sinners from the terrors and torments of eternal hell. Yeah, hell's a real place. But to achieve his great plan, to accomplish this great plan, God needed to send his only son into a hostile and sinful world. A world that ultimately rejected him and brutally murdered him. But God loved the world so much that he gave us his only son. You know, I think some people have the the wrong idea about the God of the Bible, the only God, the one true God, I think they have the wrong idea about him. I think, I think they think, some people, that he looks down from heaven with his book of rules in his hands and he just waits for us to break one of them 
so that he could punish us. <laughs> you know? I think they think that way. Or that he's, he's, he's rejoicing that they're accumulating condemnation. Oh, look at that, another, another reason to punish them in hell. I can't, I just can't wait. That's a distor- that is an absolutely distorted picture of God. To be clear, because I think this is really important, to be very clear, God is perfectly holy and righteous. And you know what that means? It means that he absolutely hates sin. He hates it. He loathes it. He despises it. It disgusts him. His holy wrath is aroused by it. If God didn't get angry about sin, then he wouldn't be God. In addition, in addition, God is just. God is absolutely just. Which means he can't refuse to deal with our sin. He can't refuse to deal with it, beloved. He can't refuse to deal with our law-breaking, our rebellion, our unrighteousness, our wickedness. He must deal with it. He can't just look the other way. If he did that, he would not be just. He would not be righteous. He can't pretend it doesn't exist. He must punish it. He must condemn it. Because he is holy, righteous, and just. But the great and wonderful news for us is that God is not only righteous, he is not only just, but he is also love. Oh, glory be to God that he is love. God is love. As much as he is holy, as much as he is righteous and just, he is love. And he knows, he knows that the sinner can never fix themselves. They can't. And yet, sadly, beloved, that is what many people believe. They believe they can make themselves right with God. Maybe you're here this morning, and you as well. You heard it said, or you've just thought it in your mind, that you somehow, through your efforts, through your works, through your sacrifices, somehow, maybe if you put enough in the plate... Maybe if you pray hard enough or long enough, maybe if you help enough people, somehow that'll make you right with God. It won't. It can't. God knows that. Even if you don't know that, God does. He knows the truth. It's impossible for the sinner to save themselves. They cannot ever make themselves right with the holy God. So in love, in love, he sent the one into the world who could, who could, who could make you right with God. And not just anyone, beloved, not just anyone, but his one and only son, whose triumph, triumphant resurrection from the dead is the thing that we're celebrating today. 
Beloved, that brings me to the second important element of this amazing story of Easter, and that is the word sacrifice. The story of Easter begins with love. It continues in love. It's filled with love, but it begins with love, the love of God, and sending his son into this world. But now I want to look at the second element, very important, what makes Easter a supreme holiday, this resurrection day, and that's the word sacrifice. Now follow me here. Just as there would be no resurrection of Jesus to celebrate if it were not for God's amazing love. Do you understand the link? Do you understand the link between his love and the resurrection? No love, no son, no death, no resurrection. Just as that is the case, it is also true that we wouldn't be celebrating the resurrection if it were not for Jesus' death. Hello. Right? I mean, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement. He resurrected from the dead. He was dead, buried, three days, good, long, good, and dead. Dead no more. He is risen. All right, good. I was just testing you guys. I lost a ton of you, but that's okay. But listen carefully. Listen carefully. Jesus' death was no ordinary death. And by that, I'm, I'm not referring to the crucifixion. Maybe that's what you're thinking. That's not what I'm, I'm thinking. That's not what I'm talking about. Because death by crucifixion was common in the ancient world. Jesus wasn't the only one who was crucified. There were thousands more. Now, what I'm talking about is the fact that Jesus in his death did something that no one could do or ever will do. And what is that, you asked? In his death, beloved, he sacrificed himself for sinners. That's what he did. He, according to God's wise, perfect, and loving plan, became the sinner's substitute. He took upon himself our sin and paid the penalty or debt that we owed, but that we could never pay. He absorbed, listen, he absorbed the Father's wrath that we deserved. He died in the sinner's place. He fully dealt with our sins by the sacrifice of himself. Why? So that the sinner could be saved from God's holy wrath against their sin. So that God's love for the sinner could be fully realized. See, Jesus' sacrificial death for the sinner is completely, it completely, it did something that the sinner could never ever do on their own. And here's what it is it completely satisfied the justice of God. The justice of God. Remember, I told you God is just. He has to deal with sin, He has to punish it, He has to condemn it. Jesus fully dealt with it. He rendered justice. His death fully appeased or pacified the wrath of God against the sinner so that any sinner who would turn to Christ and put their faith in him would be forever spared from God's wrath. Let me, let me show you a few passages from God's word concerning, specifically, Christ's sacrifice, the sacrifice. This is the second element of this story. 
In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, the writer of Hebrews says this, that he, that is Christ, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. He came to deal with sin, with the problem of sin. He put it away. How did he do it? By the sacrifice of an animal? No, by the sacrifice of himself. He was the sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. Now, you understand that. Now you'll understand the rest of what I want to show you. Hebrews chapter 10, next chapter in verse 11, the writer of Hebrews says this, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now, stop right there. Maybe you already know this, but there was a system that God had established, a sacrificial system, and the priest would go and and sacrifice animals, killing them, innocent animals, on behalf of the people. One would have to die for their sins. An animal would have to die for their sins. And this, this was a regular recurring event that happened in the life of Israel. Now, we learn from Hebrews, the animals could never take away anyone's sin. So why did God institute this, this system? Because he hates animals? No. He doesn't hate animals. It was a picture. It was a picture of the one who would come and die, be murdered, give up his blood, shed his blood on our behalf. He would be the, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of of the world. That's how they refer to him. He would be the perfect sacrifice. He would, be the, he would be a human being. Therefore, he could in our place die as that sacrifice on our behalf. And his blood, his death would do what the priest could never do, what the animal sacrifices could never do. They would deal with the problem of our sin. They would Take it away, because in that death, God would be satisfied because sin was punished in Christ. So the writer goes on to say, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what is that sacrifice? Animals? No, do you remember chapter 9, verse 26? What is that sacrifice that he offered? Himself. When he came and he offered for all time one sacrifice himself, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. By the way, there's enemies of Christ. Did you know that? You know who they are? Every single human being who rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible calls them his enemies, and he is going to deal with them in the future. We don't have to be his enemies, beloved. We don't have to be his enemies. He, he sacrificed himself so that we don't have to be his enemies, beloved. If we will receive by faith this sacrifice, it goes on, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, what offering? The offering of himself. 
not an animal, by the offering of himself, by that single offering, he has perfected for all time or made perfect forever those who are being sanctified, those who are being made holy. Beloved, he's talking about Christians, those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. He, by his offering of himself, has made them perfect in the eyes of God forever. Hello. Huh? There has to be some, some louder amen than that. Amen. To that, if you understand what that means. In Isaiah, the Old Testament, it speaks of Christ's sacrifice this way. We've read it before. Isaiah 53. I'll just read two verses out of there. Predicting this in the future, looking forward, the prophet says, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions is, an, is another way of getting at the idea of sin, rebellion. He was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities, another word, for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, God, has laid on him, the Messiah, Christ, the Son of God, the iniquity, the sin, the transgressions of us all. That's the sacrificial death. At the end of verse 12, Isaiah 53, prophet says, For he bore the sin of many. You know what that word bore means? Do you, do you understand that word? It means he, he took upon himself. He took the sins of many upon himself. He took it. He became that living sacrifice. Dying in our place. And he made intercession for the transgressors. He made intercession for the transgressors. That is why, listen, that is why the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that there is only one, only one mediator or go-between, go-between for God and human beings. There's only one. There's only one person who is able to to enable sinful human beings and a holy God to have an everlasting relationship. Did you hear what I just said? There's only one. There's only one who is able to enable sinful human beings to have an everlasting relationship with a holy God. And that is the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for sinners who by the sacrifice of himself paid the price for our sin debt, who became the object of God's just wrath in the sinner's place, who died the sinner's death and bore their sin. This is why Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except through him. John 14, 6, beloved, when you understand how one is saved, then you understand he is the only way to be saved. He's it. And he's sufficient. He's everything we need. It's not like, oh, he's it, that's it. No, he is it. He did it. 
He is the only one who was able to deal with the problem of sin and did deal with it. He's the only one. And he did it by the sacrifice of himself. You with me? And beloved, I love this. I appreciate this, what the scriptures tell us. Not only did God the Father love us so much and sent his son into the world, but you know what? The son also loved us. You know, it's not like the son's like, Dad, I don't want to... Really? I don't want to do this, Dad. I don't want to go down there. Do you see those people? They're awful. Why in the world would I... Why would I... Why would I do that? Right? No. Uh-uh. No, there, love existed in this triune God all across the board. Love was being poured out. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Spirit, all there for sinners. Christ, our Savior, loved us as well. Look what, look what Paul says. You know these passages, but I just want you to hear them. It's not just the love of God, but it's the love of the Son as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says he's, he's, he's exhorting the church to walk in love, to live in love with one another, right? How are they to know how to love? I'm going to tell you, Paul says, do it as Christ loved us. Here's the example, and gave himself up for us. He loved us, and look at the connection, and gave himself up for us. That's, that's a reference to the sacrifice of Christ, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Paul says, the Apostle Paul. Then just a little bit later, a few verses later, same chapter, verse 25, now he speaks directly to husbands. I'm not going to get into this this morning because this is the resurrection. We can do this later, though, husbands. But husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You see it there again? That's the model. That's the example. Look what Christ did. He loved, and because he loved, he gave himself, he sacrificed himself that sinners might be saved. (sighs) Beloved, the amazing story of Easter, or the story concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a story of divine love and profound, (laughs) profound sacrifice. I can't even get my mind around that type of sacrifice. But that is not all. That is not all. It is also a story of incredible hope. Of incredible hope. Now when I say hope, I don't mean wishful thinking. Like, hey, I sure hope I get that. Or I sure hope that happens. I'm not, I, we use the word that way, but that's not the way the Bible uses the word. And I'm using the word the way the Bible uses the word. It refers to a confident expectation concerning something. A confident expectation concerning something. Well, beloved, as many of you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a source of incredible hope for the Christian. All right, there's 20 Christians approximately in here who are excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, to begin with, the resurrection of Christ assures that the Christian, the one trusting in and following Christ, the Christian, it assures them that their best life is yet to come. Amen. Amen. Their best life, write that down somewhere, my best life is yet to come. My best life is yet to come. My best life is yet to come. 
I'm not talking like in three years or four years unless you die and go home to be with the Lord. I'm talking about a resurrection. That life, the resurrection life. Our best life is yet to come. Because according to the Bible, Christians, just like Christ, will also one day be resurrected and given new glorified bodies. See, there's some amens there. The older people in the crowd. I'm going to tell you what I tell my kids. Don't get old. It's not too much fun sometimes. But listen, glorified bodies, they like Christ, they like Christ will be raised imperishable. Imperishable. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, meaning that their bodies will never decay again. Hello. No decay. No disease. No aches and pains. Oh, my. Yeah, awesome. See, wow, this is something to get excited about now. I like this resurrection thing. Their bodies will never decay. They will be raised immortal. They will never die. You know, the, you know, you know the world, science, they say, don't you worry, someday we'll figure out a way for you to become immortal. No. No, they won't. Why would you want to live in this world for the rest of your life anyway? Yeah, exactly. Why would you want to do that? I mean, I'm not looking to leave early, don't get me wrong, but I am looking to leave. Come back to the new place that God's going to make for us. And why would God do that? Why would he give the Christian the, this, this immortal, non-decaying, imperishable body, just like he gave to his son, Jesus Christ? Why? So that they might live forever with him in the eternal kingdom. Eternal, everlasting, forever. Well, you can't have people dying in that kingdom, then they can't be in that eternal kingdom. Beloved, the destiny of every Christian could not get any better. And it is the resurrection of Christ that gives the Christian this great hope. But there is another incredible hope that Christians have concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here it is. It is the confident explanation that God will never, hear me, will never condemn them. He will will never pour out his wrath on them for their sin. Why? Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hard proof that God fully accepted the sacrifice of himself, the sacrifice of Christ. The Apostle Paul says this to the Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ had not been raised, and why is that even brought up? Why is he, why is he dealing with that issue? Because some people were denying the resurrection, period. They were saying, there is no resurrection from the dead. You just die and you're done. It's over. He says, guys, listen. Listen to what you're saying. If there's no resurrection from the dead, if that's not possible, then Christ isn't resurrected. And that's what we've been telling everybody. And I guess then we're liars. And we're testifying against God because God resurrected him. And if there is no resurrection of Christ, think about the logic. If, if that's true, there is no resurrection, and that means then Christ didn't resurrect He says, one of the problems then is, 
you're still in your sins. If he's still dead, you're still in your sins, meaning that if if Jesus is dead, then you remain unforgiven and guilty before God. You see the power, you're starting to see the power of the resurrection now, the hope of the resurrection now. Now, why would he say that? Because listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's stamp of approval, if you will, on his son's sacrifice, meaning that the resurrection of Jesus demonstrated this, that God was completely satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made for sinners. It was irrefutable proof that Jesus had fully dealt with sin once and for all in his death on the cross. The apostle at the end of Romans 4 says that Jesus was delivered up. He was crucified. That's the way of referring to it. He was delivered up or crucified for our trespasses, our sins, and raised, resurrected for our justification. Now listen. One pastor comments, makes the following comments concerning that passage at the end of Romans 4. He says this, The resurrection was indispensable evidence of the completion and efficacious value of his death. That means it, it proves something. That it proved the value of his death. It proved what it accomplished. The Father, it was the Father's way of saying, the resurrection was the Father's way of saying that Christ's death accomplished its intended purpose. He goes on. It was God raising him from the dead to affirm that what he did on the cross satisfied God's holy justice. If he didn't rise, if Jesus didn't rise, then his death is the death of an ordinary man and has no saving value. You see why we get a You see why we can and should get excited about this Resurrection Sunday, about the amazing story of Easter? But he did rise from the dead, and he was raised by the Father for our justification. He was raised in order that in the sight of God, we might be made righteous. In order that in the sight of God, we might be without sin. In order that our sin might be dismissed and forgiven. And when he was raised, the the pastor goes on to say, it was as if God said, I accept the sacrifice. I accept it. I have been appeased. My wrath has been fully absorbed. He was the perfect substitute for the sinner and the perfect sacrifice. The bottom line is this, there is no sacrifice, beloved, any of us can make to become acceptable to God. There is no sacrifice we can make. Rather, we must trust in the one whose great sacrifice God has already accepted. Yes, amen. Jesus Christ, which God made evident to the world by raising that one from the dead. You get it? You see the hope of the resurrection? I know, I know I can be right with God through Christ because he's not dead. He's alive. God raised him from the dead, giving evidence that his death accomplished exactly what he set out to do to make sinners right with God. 
Beloved, the story of Easter, the story of the resurrected Christ is truly, is truly a story of love, a story of sacrifice, and a story of hope. And it is these elements of the story that make Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, as, I, as I've said a couple times and some Christians prefer to call it, because that's a more accurate description of the day, a day that is worthy, worthy of our full attention, of our adoration and praise, a day that is really worth celebrating. Not just a day, by the way, beloved, but every day of our, our living lives. We should be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, before I close, I want to say a few more things to those of you who came today, because we have a lot of visitors here. Maybe you were invited, or, or maybe you've been coming, but you, you don't know. You don't know for certain that you have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you do know. Maybe the Spirit of God's working in your heart right now, and And you know through this conviction, you don't have a relationship with this one. Now, I don't know who you are. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. And if I look at you, I'm not singling you out. I'm looking at everybody. I'm looking at my wife. I know she's a believer in Jesus Christ. I just like looking at her. But listen, God does. God knows. God knows. And I'm hoping you know right now who you are. I hope you know, I hope you know whether or not you really do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope if you don't have one that concerns you, I hope it does concern you. We, we don't know who you are, but we've been praying for you. Now let me talk to you just for a moment and, and just kind of come back to this story, okay? The amazing story of Easter, story of love, right? Now listen, I can know that about this love. I can know about it objectively. I, I, I know it exists. Okay, I know God loves me. But that's a way different thing, my friend, than knowing that love of God experientially. In fact, the Word of God says in, in Romans 5, 5, that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit, right, He comes into us. He indwells us, and, and He causes the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts, to be just overflowing in our hearts where we actually know that God loves us. Not just because we read it, we experience it through the Holy Spirit that he gives to every single child of his at the moment that they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, maybe you've heard this said. I think it's, I think it's worth saying. People will say that every single person is born with a, a hole in their heart. A hole in their heart or a hole in their life. It's a hole that they, they feel. They know that something's missing. They know that something's wrong. It's a hole that only the love of God can fill up. Only the love of God can fill up. Now, unfortunately, this hole hurts. It hurts, and so people will find other things to try to fill it. Things that are awful for them many times. So they might try to fill it with with drugs or or alcohol, or they might try to fill it with, with sin of all kinds and sorts. They might try to fill it with a relationship. They might try to fill it with work. Listen, if I, if I just become great, then I know, then I'll feel right. But you know what? It never fills it. It never fills it. And, and after they achieved whatever they thought, 
or, or took in whatever they thought or got whatever they thought would fill the hole, they remain unsatisfied. It's like drinking seawater when you're thirsty. It won't make the thirst go away. It'll just kill you. Only God, beloved, if you're here this morning, only God can fill that hole in your heart. Only He can truly satisfy you. And how does He do that? Through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. You won't experience that love any other way. You might experience a general love for God. He's he's kind. The fact that you woke up this morning, the fact that we still get rain, the fact that there's still food growing, that demonstrates God's love for everyone. Absolutely. Otherwise, no one would be here, okay? But that's not the love I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiential love, a love that says, you are mine. You are mine. You are my child. Now and forevermore, I delight in you. That kind of love. You will never escape me. That kind of love. I will be with you now and forevermore. That kind of love. You won't get it apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Second, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Let's go back. So many people, and unfortunately, so many religions teach that you can do something to be right with God. That you can do something to make up for all the wrong things that you've done. And so they go at it. One sacrifice after another. And you know, they are never sure that they've done enough. You know what? That's good. You shouldn't be sure that you've done enough because you can never be sure you've done enough because you can't do enough to make yourself right with God. I'm glad that people are unsure. You ask a person who does not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you ask them, do you know for sure that when you, you stand before God one day that he will let you into his heaven? You know what they'll say? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Why? Well, I don't know if I've done enough. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I think I've been good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't. That is why we needed the sacrifice of Christ. It is his sacrifice for sins that can make the sinner forever right with God, justify them before God. It's only his sacrifice. And finally, beloved, hope. Hope. You know, people talk about my future is bright. You know, I got a, I got a college degree. Things are looking so good. Well, maybe not so much in this economy, but there used to be a time where, where you know, things were booming and everyone's like, yeah, the future is bright, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live large and things are so wonderful. I plan on getting married someday, blah, blah, blah. Okay, beloved, I'm just going to tell you, this life is hard and difficult. I don't care what job you have or who you're married to or what kind of kids you have or what neighborhood you live in. This life is filled with difficult things. It's hard. It's a hard life. And if you don't know that, you will. Because maybe you're young, you just haven't experienced it. But I, trust me, you will. You want real hope? You really want to know that your future is bright? It's going to be through Christ. That's the only way. For the Christian, regardless of the circumstances that are going on around him, 
economy collapses, he loses his job, he just gets a report that he, he has an uncurable disease, or, or any number of things, or this person dies, or that person dies, or the fridge breaks again, car breaks, you know, all these things that continue. Your kid gets sick, really sick. For the Christian, they say, I see all that, it's difficult, but I know what my future holds. And it's not this. It's not this. I have a future with God in a glorified body. And I have that future because Christ's sacrifice on the cross absolutely paid my price. It is finished, he said. He did it all so that I can have an eternal future with a holy God. He did it. And it's evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did it. My friends, if you're here and you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't really have any real hope to speak of. You don't. You may say you do, but it's a temporary hope at best. And I'm going to tell you that when you get to the end of that road, you're going to be like, wow, really? Was this it? This is what I was hoping for? Yeah, that's it, my friends. But there'll be no Christian disappointed on that day. No Christian, when they are resurrected and they receive their glorified bodies and they are in the presence of God, blameless before God. How has that happened? Because of Christ. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When that day happens, no one's going to be looking around going, really, is this it? Is it? Or this is what I've been waiting for? Are you kidding? Not a soul. No, they'll be praising, rejoicing, celebrating, living in the presence of God in their new awesome bodies. So, we're going to sing, we are, we're going to sing one more song. Okay? Thomas? We are, we're going to sing one more song. And after the end of the song, there's some, Thomas will close the sermon, but listen, Maybe something a little bit different that we don't, haven't normally done, we're going to start doing more of. We're going to have some people up here on my left and on my right. They're going to be standing up there. They're here for a specific reason. They're here for you. They're here for you. If you're one of those people that I was talking about who you don't know if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, or you know you don't, but you want one. You want one. You want to experience for yourself the great love of God. You want to know that sacrifice in a personal way. You want to have the hope that Christians have. You want to be saved from the future wrath of God that will certainly come against you if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're going to be here for you. They want to talk to you. They want to explain to you how you can do that. It's not hard, beloved. It's not hard. So at the end of the service, come up here and talk to them. They'll take you behind one of these very private and sophisticated rooms that we have established here. (laughs) And they'll talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not hard, beloved. Maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Come up here. That's why they're here. Maybe you're here and, and you just need some prayer. You're hurting and you just want, you want another, you want a Christian to pray with you. They're here for that as well. We'd ask at the end of the service, don't leave, don't bail. 
If they can minister to you, they want to. So come forward after the end of the service. For the rest of you, hang out. Celebrate the day. Eat the food if there's any remaining. And just fellowship and rejoice in what what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is really all about. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, I, I trust your word. I trust in your power to draw sinners unto yourself, Lord. I am trusting that you will do that even now. We've been praying for people to come who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, and, I, and I have to believe that there's some people like that here for certain. Lord, may they not, may they not leave. May all the other voices that they might be hearing telling them to just, it's okay, I'll do it another day, I have time, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it later. May they not listen to that, Father. May the voice of your spirit be so loud, so compelling, that they would come. They would come and talk to a, to a Christian who wants to just tell them the way. He just wants to tell them how they can have life in Jesus Christ. So simple. So simple. May they come, Father. For the believers that are here, for those who, who have that saving relationship, may their hearts flutter with joy and celebration. When they think about the Easter story, might they think about your great love, God. Wow. Your amazing love for us. That sacrifice the sacrifice of Christ, the sacrifice that made it possible for us to be your children and our great hope in the resurrection, our hope that we will also, like Christ, be risen new bodies to live with you, imperishable, immortal, to live with you in the place that you have prepared for your people. And may we remember all that the resurrection proves. It proves It proves the fact that the sinner who has placed their faith in Christ doesn't have to worry any longer. It's a done deal. Their sin has been dealt with. God, you demonstrated that by raising your son, proving that you were fully satisfied. You accepted his sacrifice on the sinner's behalf. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for all that it means. In Christ's name, amen.